Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Hall, motivational speaker, full-time psychology student, mama four, and military spouse. On this podcast, I share helpful life tips and real stories from inspirational women. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today. Enjoy the episode. Hey guys, today I'm here with Kristen. Kristen Iris is a film producer, speaker, and coach helping black creatives cultivate liberation, joy, and power through deep personal work and black creative expression. As a creative, she shares the powerful messages through her writing, currently working on a novel and a screenplay. Oh my God, (laughs) you got a lot going on. And her (laughs) podcast, Melanated Rising, which is actually... I've been listening to it. It's a great podcast. I think everybody should tune in. Uh, Kristen is great. She gets right to, she does, she doesn't hold back any punches. It's, it's, it's a wonderful thing to listen to. And I have it linked up in the show notes, which is meant to inspire, uplift and ignite black creatives while changing the narratives around blackness. Now, I know I'm not black, but still I enjoy your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I learn something every time I listen to it. So that's what I, I really enjoy hearing a different perspective than that is mine. I mean, you know, we have to get out of our comfort zone and listen to other things and watch other things that aren't just what looks like, sounds like, and acts just like us, if that makes mm-hmm. sense to anybody listening. Um, she is also a producer at Megamind Media, a Black-owned feature film and television production company. Her mission, whether in her art, coaching, or speaking, is to challenge and break down oppressive power dynamics and systems by inspiring and igniting Black folks into their greatness. Well, Kristen, thank you so much for coming on today. (laughs) Thank you for having me. So I reached out to Kristen because like I said, I've been listening to her podcast and I felt she had a perspective that I don't have and I don't have because I haven't had the same lived experiences and would have something of value to give to everybody on the podcast. And Kristen came back at me with it. She was like, listen, this is what I want to talk about. <laughs> Are you down with that or not? And I was like, I'm down with anything. Um, so Chris, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about what you were thinking of talking about when you talked about white coaches working with black folks and how that doesn't really jive, how that doesn't really work out. Yes. <laughs> um, and, and not that it, and I, I guess not that it can't work out, but, um, so I have worked with white coaches before in, in different capacities. I've had a white business coach before and I've had a white like transformational coach before. And those are the last white coaches that I will have <laughs> is where I stand right now. Um, I find I was less aware of this then and more aware of it now, like having gone through working with them and not that there was, there was anything like really awful awful or anything like that. Like I got something from both of them, actually, honestly, more from the transformational coach than, than the uh, business coach. Yeah. But there was still this element of like, you don't understand my lived experience Mm -hmm. and this, this feeling that I can now articulate that I couldn't then of you're operating from a place of privilege and you're dismissing the fact that not everyone has your privilege just because you are white and not everybody who's following you is. And so there was this feeling of, there's always kind of this feeling of like caution, especially when I was working with the transformational coach. Um, I actually wasn't working one-on-one with, with her, her and her husband actually. And he is 
he's he's got white passing privilege like he's maori so like new zealand i believe and working with them like in a group capacity there was still kind of this feeling especially as i started speaking more about racial justice and white supremacy and racism of like this is a super white dominated space these are both white well one white coach and one coach with a lot of male privilege but like both non-black non-black privilege and there was this caution of like am i gonna am i gonna get heat am i gonna get pushback am i gonna get you're playing the victim because that's what you see a lot in the coaching world the coaching world is very very white it is white led it is white dominated it is white centered and a lot of the trainings because they're created by white people are done through a white supremacist lens without them even knowing because we are all indoctrinated into white supremacy all of us i'm indoctrinated into it as a black woman you're indoctrinated into it and if we don't actively do the work to dismantle our own white supremacy which is work that does not end no you, i know you chip away you chip away at it you chip away at it but it is work that is constant and it is never ending and so if you're not doing that work if your coaches are not doing that work then how can I, as a black woman and a queer black woman, work with a white coach through healing and deep transformational work when they're not addressing white supremacy, they're not addressing my lived experience in having to deal with white supremacy in a, and the trauma that it has done to me, and not dealing with their own, you know, their own white supremacy that they don't realize that they have. Right. That's not creating a space that's actually safe for me to do those explorations because in reality when you're doing like that deep personal work and this actually applies to business too but i'm thinking in particular with um like the deep work or transformational work mm -hmm. um your me as a black woman going to a white coach i am literally going to my oppressor mm -hmm. to have them teach me about liberation i i don't that that's not gonna work yeah that's not that gonna work because there's 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 always a privilege and a power dynamic and not just the client the client coach dynamic that i don't mean that i mean the you're white and i'm black you're possibly male and i'm a black woman like there are power dynamics at play there and those power dynamics impact the way that we engage it impacts what i'm actually willing to say how far i'm willing to stretch myself because that person by default is a danger to me me being in the room with that person is a danger to me in some way because they have a privilege and a power over me whether they use it or not is actually not the point it's that they can mm -hmm. so when i walk into a room when when i'm in a place and a white person walks in the room like i'm immediately aware of the power dynamic that's happening there and a lot of white people are walking around and they're not aware of it and a lot of white coaches are walking around and they're they're teaching and they're coaching and they are not aware of that privilege dynamic that they have and what it is that they're actually perpetuating in their teaching. So I don't work with white coaches anymore. Like white coaches have to be like super like deep in their, in their work and publicly verbally putting out there, their dismantle, like the ways that they're dismantling and calling other people out and calling other people in. And I still probably wouldn't work with them because I'm all about like, um, supporting black, black businesses and black coaches and black leaders. So, but you know, they'd have to be doing that work for me to even like stretch my mind to consider it. <laughs> I know you had to have a conversation with me and be like, 
what kind of work have you been doing for me to come on your podcast? Um, which I was like, I was like, you know what? That's a legitimate question because you don't know me. We we're friends on Facebook, but we're not like friends in person. So you don't know me in person. You don't know what kind of uh, you know human being I am. And and yes, I should be have done the work and keep doing the work. And like you said, I can see where you're coming from and your perspective now. That makes a lot of sense. It'd be kind of I'm going into therapy. I'm going to be a psychologist. Why would you work with a white therapist? Because again, like that would be like, you're getting deep into your shit and they're not going to understand when you come out about white supremacy or about racism or bias because they've never experienced it. Yeah. Not in the same, not in the same way. I mean, white supremacy harms everyone and racism harms everyone, but it, the way it affects us, like most black people in America are walking around with PTSD from having to deal with racism and having to see like black bodies getting killed by police. Like Mm -hmm. I'm in Chicago. Okay. So first of all, the police here, (laughs) like people like, Oh, all the gun violence, all the gun violence. And there's so many gangs. Like they make it sound like it's a fucking war zone over here. It's not by the way, but you know who I'm not afraid of black people. You know who I am afraid of cops. So when I'm walking down the street and there's a cop driving by, I get a little bit anxious. My blood pressure goes up a little bit because I know that they could stop me for no reason and I might die, especially because I usually walk around with a knife attached to my hip. (laughs) So if that's something that they find because they're searching me for absolutely no reason because there's no reason to search me because I'm never doing anything bad, then like I might actually just end up dying. And I'm aware of that. But white people see the cops and they're like, oh, the cops there, it's safe. And I'm like, great, the cops there. Let me just walk in and look straight ahead. You know, so like, honestly, what you said about therapists, that's actually why I haven't gone back to therapy. Um, I mean, my therapist was cool. Like she was, yeah. you know, she was cool. She, I, I, you know, I feel like she understood me and the stuff I was saying, but she's also white. And I know that the things that I want to bring up now have to do with race and not that she wouldn't, not that she would like gaslight me or anything. Like a lot of coaches do that. A lot of coaches will sit there and gaslight you. I don't think she would gaslight me, but like, she's not going to get it the way a black, a black woman right. is, you know, like imagine if you like, it, this is like the, somebody, I think I was listening to a podcast or somebody said this about, about therapy and um, like taking teenage girls to therapists, at, like in their youth, like you're going to take a teenage girl to therapy with an old white man, like he's going to understand what she's going through. Right. He's not going to understand. And if she's experienced any kind of like sexual trauma, you think that's who she wants to talk to? Mm -hmm. No. So it's just like, we, we experience racial trauma. We don't want to talk to a white therapist about it. We're sitting there like getting vulnerable and getting deep into our stuff. And that can happen with coaches as well. Um, especially with the work that I do is like very deep personal work, but even with business coaches, like the business coach that I worked with, there was stuff that she would say that I was just like, but I don't understand. Like, she'd be like, you need to stop worrying about how it's going to happen and just like decide that it's going to happen. And I'm like, what? what? <laughs> like, I don't even like, get you know, that. Like, just, just like, you know, it's kind of like that manifesting thing. Like just yeah. know that it is and have faith that it is. And I'm like, but you don't understand where I come from. Like I come from a history, centuries of survival. And that honestly, 
as a, as a black woman, that needs to be dismantled. Like that's part of my money story. Like slavery has fucked up my, my, my relationship with money. And that's something I've only like recently come to realize probably in like oh, a little less than a year. I have a book that I'm working through that addresses that Yay. specifically. Yeah. That addresses that specifically like for black women. But part of that is survival. We've learned to operate from survival. So like you get a white, like I had a, that white coach who is talking about like, just, just don't worry about the how, just, just worry about what you want to happen. I'm like, but how do I make it happen? And she's like, I just said, don't worry about the how. I'm like, that doesn't make sense. What am I going to do? Give me an action to take. I need to know an action because she comes from a place of, she had this like really successful dog grooming business or, or something before she was a coach. So she did build a business, but she also like has family security. So like her family probably helped her start that business. I don't actually know if that's her story, but like she is, she has other things that, ha- that give her the security where she doesn't have to operate from survival. Mm. She didn't come from generations and generations of people operating from survival. She doesn't have that same kind of conditioning that's been trailed down through, you know, through the centuries and, and taught to me. She's not going to understand that. I'm like, but the how just, just, just not focusing on the how doesn't make sense to me. And she was just like, you're worried about this. And I'm like, yes, I'm worried about it because I need to be able to eat. Do you understand? Right. Like this is a budding business. I need to be able to eat and you're not giving me what I need to actually grow my business. So in, in that's, that's another capacity that can be like, you don't, you're giving me things that are not going to work for me or you're not helping me work through the shit I need to, to make this thing work, mm-hmm. you know, or even you're teaching practices that are white supremacist in nature and capitalistic, and you don't realize it because that's what you've been indoctrinated into. And so then they're teaching those things to us. And now we're being indoctrinated into the same thing and perpetuating business practices that are capitalistic or white supremacist in nature because, Oh, it's working for all these people. Let's go with that. Yeah. What a lot of people don't realize is generational trauma is a real thing. So what happened generations to go to your family line can actually affect you physically and mentally today. And I'm not just talking about like your physical genes, but there is generational, it does alter your genes. It it does. Yes. It actually changes your DNA. Yeah. And people don't realize that. So when they're trying to come at you, Kristen is like, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, but that's not how shit's worked for generations in my family. So I literally have in my DNA this going on. Yeah. They have no idea. No, I, I I, I mean, I wanted to put that in there because like I said, I'm going to school for psychology. So we actually do talk about generational trauma in psychology because you if you're treating someone you have to treat the whole person you can't just treat a part of a person so if you're just like i'm going to treat your symptoms today but you don't go back and start to ask questions about you know family members about your past about things like that that's not going to help you so them trying to talk to you about building a business when they're not understanding that you have things in your past not just your past but your family's past that's actually affecting you today that's a problem. Yes. Yes. It's all part, it's all part of the person. It's all part of our development, but it's also a lot of that gets subconsciously embedded Mm -hmm. and it leads to like these different conditionings and these different patterns that we walk around in the world with. And if you're not addressing that, it's like, 
So, so something that people come to me or they mention a lot when, when they work with me is like, oh, I, you know, like I have this doubt and like this imposter syndrome, you know, they, there's a lot of imposter syndrome coming up Mm -hmm. and people by that, I mean, like a lot of coaches will be like, well, you know, you just have to like feel the fear and do it anyway. And you have to just like believe in yourself. It's like, it's very vague. And that's great. Like change your thoughts, you know, change your thoughts, change your life kind of, but like your thought is that's the, that's the symptom. That's not the wound. That's like, okay, I've got this infection. So I'm going to put a bandaid on it because then it's not going to ooze everywhere, but like you still have an infection. Mm -hmm. So if you don't actually do something about the infection, you're still going to have imposter syndrome, (laughs) you know, and imposter syndrome is one of those things that like, it doesn't, it's going to keep coming up, but you have to learn where it comes from. You have to learn like what's that underlying story that that's coming up for you. And for black people that, that, that underlying story is often compounded by the ways that white supremacy around us continues to batter us down. And so we have to understand the different layers of not only our personal experiences, but societal, often religious and cultural elements and how those are playing a role in our perception of self. And how all of those, not all, but maybe all, (laughs) maybe all of those are based in oppressive systems and oppressive indoctrination that helps society keep going, but helps society keep going in a way that uplifts certain people and um, oppresses other people. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I mean, something, this is not related to business, but something people may not know is about redlining. And redlining today still affects people because um, redlining districts, that was when you couldn't, if you are, were of, if you were black, you could not buy uh, houses or rent houses in certain areas. So what ended up ha- happening is in the black areas, there ended up being more poverty because they weren't getting as much help, not help, but you know, like the schools weren't access, access. the schools weren't getting as much money and to, to help with the school stuff like that. So these ended up being the roads too. the roads weren't getting fixed. So people had trouble going to work. It was all of that stuff was systemic. Like we're not going to put money in these neighborhoods. We're going to put them in these neighborhoods, which were the white neighborhoods, which is still a thing that affects people today. And, and a lot yes. of people don't even realize it. It's those things that, yeah, we might go back and be like, well, but things changed, right? Ch- things changed. The laws changed. Well, no, they still affect people today. Like, it, it, we're not that far removed. We're not. From and the same systems that created things like redlining, those same systems are still in place. Like, the same systems that create like that that led to slavery that were developed during slavery those systems are still in place slavery by the way is still actually in place it's just it just doesn't look like chattel slavery anymore it looks like the prison industrial complex Mm -hmm. there's a reason that the prison industrial complex is built majority with black and brown people even though i think black people make up like 13 percent of the u.s population or something But even when you look at that, why does the United States have 5% of the world's population and 25% of the incarcerated population? That is fucked up. It's because there is big, big money in the prison industrial complex. And that's why they funnel black and brown people in and uh, immigrants as well. Because that's where they make their money. 
Yeah. And if you and I got pulled over and we both had some weed on us, say in Connecticut where I live, because it's not legal here, uh, we both had some weed on us. You're probably going to get a, a much stricter sentencing than I would. And it's just, a, it, we could yeah. both be pulled over in the same fucking car. <laughs> Let's put it yep. that way. On the same street. By With the same, the same amount. Actually, you, you'll probably get, you'll probably get let go. They'll probably let you go, and then me, I'll get slapped with something. Oh, I probably, I might get probation, maybe, depending on how much weed it is. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> maybe depending probation. on how much it is, but yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, but people don't think about that. They think that things are, are equal, and they're not. And I think that that's really why, that's one of the reasons I want to have you on, is because you're not afraid to say the things. You're not afraid to say you know what? The shit is not working. It's not working y'all and things need yeah. to change. So what are some ways that things that we can help things change? Like th that we, whether it, we're talking about black, brown, white people, what are some ways that we could help this change? Cause you know, some people listening might be like, I know it's a fucked up world, but I don't even know what to do. So yes. So the first thing is, and I, and you, you might know, you might know this because we've been connected on Facebook for a while. So like, that's yeah. why I was like, all right, I've seen her saying stuff. I've seen her speaking out. I think I can do this. I'm like, I want to talk about these things. Um, so like you've seen my post and I normally don't speak specifically to white people because I'm very much about using my platform to uplift and to help black people do the work. That is where I'm better served. I'm not better served arguing with white people and it's exhausting. <laughs> But I will it's called emotional that, labor right there. Yes, it's like, called emotional labor and it's education. And I am not an anti-racism educator by choice because I do not want to do that work. And I do not want to babysit white people through all of their feelings that they're going to have when they realize right. how much they're part of the problem, which is the first thing that I'm actually going to say is for the white people and non-black people listening is you are also part of the problem, even if you think you're not. Like, everybody needs to be doing their work. White people need to be doing the work. Stop thinking that you're one of the good white people, that you're not racist, that you're not doing X, Y, and Z, and get to fucking work. Because all of you are, all of you are a problem. All of you are part of the problem, and you all have to do your work. And that's not saying that you're a bad person. It's saying that you were born a human and came up in this society. That's what that's saying. So we're all indoctrinated in, you need to do the work, go learn from black and brown people, pay them. Don't expect that labor for free. Right. Find people who are actually out there to do the work, who are out there to help you do the work, um, or to guide you or to call you in and pay those people and actually do the work. Because there are so many ways that people are like, oh, well, you know, like, oh, this person's racist or like, oh, I'm not like that. And it's like, but you'd be surprised how many things you don't realize you're thinking are actually steeped in white supremacy, are actually steeped in anti-blackness. The ways that you might be reacting to people that you don't notice, like when you walk down the street or when you walk into a room or even walking into a room and not recognizing your privilege. All of these things are things that you need to learn because it starts with you. It starts with us individually. That's why my work with, with black folks um, like I work with creatives, first of all, creative meaning anything that you're doing in any arena, 
Right. It's, if you are moving something forward, you have an endeavor that you are moving forward in the world, that to me makes you a creative because it takes a creative mind. So creative means people, <laughs> but I work with black creatives. It's not just that creative work, the thing that they're, they're building and wanting to bring in the world. It's let's look at all the ways that oppression has been affecting you. Maybe not all, but let's, let's get a good start on it and look at the ways that you also have been indoctrinated into white supremacy and anti-blackness and how is that changing the way that you're showing up in your work, in your relationships, in your life. Because that's work that I do with black folks. It's not just like dismantling work, but the dismantling work is part of clearing the way so that you can step big into your creative work and have the impact you want to have. Like all of that is part of it. You can't really free yourself. You can't really be liberated if you're not looking at the ways that you have not only been impacted by, but are also perpetuating white supremacy. So here's a small, small example. The way I used to run um, like payments on my, on my programs was, this is actually a little bit more capitalism than white supremacy, but it's perpetuated very much a lot by white people. And it ties in is you know, you have your in, if you pay in full, it's this much. And if you pay on a payment plan, it's a little bit more, right? Mm -hmm. It's like very, very common. Everybody does that. I don't do that anymore because it feels oppressive in nature. If you have, if you are in a good enough financially economic space to pay in full, then you pay in full. Yeah. You know, most people will, they they don't want to do a payment plan. They want to get out of the way. So if you're not in as good of an economic space, I'm penalizing you by making you pay more. That makes sense. Yeah. And, and that, because a lot of times, if you, if you take a white person and a black person, I know there's a lot of other, a lot of other, you know, races and ethnicities and things like that. But let's just say, because white people are at the top of the totem pole and black people in the, in the hierarchy of privilege and power at the bottom, take a white person and a black person, chances are going to be higher that the white person is going to be able to pay in full mm. because of, the ways that capitalism and white supremacy and racism work in this country. Black people are more disenfranchised. They are more marginalized. They have less access to resources, to network, to the people who can help them. So chances are a white person is going to be able to pay it and a black person is going to be on the payment plan or not be able to do it because they can't do the payment plan. So that's where the white supremacy plays into it, but it's capitalistic in nature. It's this, oh, you're being rewarded because you're already in a better financial place. But like, if you need the help or you need the extra time to pay a payment plan, um, I'm going to penalize you because, you know, if you just worked a little harder, you'd be able to pay in full. Oh, I hate and that. That's, I hate that. And that's right the there. story. Yes. And that is the thing that a lot of coaches will probably, oh, it's, it's never, it's never about money. It's always about how hard they want it. And I'm like, mm -hmm. no, sometimes it's actually about money. Like yeah. I've had programs where I'm like, I can't do this program because I need to actually be able to eat. And you're asking for like $3,000 and I have. Yeah. $120 and it's all going to be gone with my cell phone bill. <laughs> so, you know, like it, it's, it's this, this disconnect between people who are not in your same experience. And those are some of the practices that like, Oh, people are doing this. So I'm going to do this in my business as well. And it's like, every time, so every time that was a situation for me, it felt shitty. It felt like I was being penalized. It felt like I was being punished because I wasn't in, in as good of an economic situation. It was like, damn, it's already, it's already hard enough right now. And now you guys, and now I have to pay like extra because I can't pay it up front. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it just felt like, oh. you know, it's like, it's 
not discouraging not like it discouraged me from doing it but it felt like great this is another hurdle that i have to overcome or like you're being and punished I, yeah and that that's what it feels like it feels like being punished and when you already have these stories like for black people about how you're lazy or you're less intelligent you guys don't work hard We're, literally our hard work is what built this fucking country so right. back off <laughs> You know, but like when you already have those messages and those messages didn't end with slavery. Okay. Like they still are messages that are being perpetuated all the time and that people are saying all the time or thinking and operating from and relating to black people from this place of like, oh, they're probably lazy. Oh, they probably just didn't work hard. That's probably why they're poor. It's like poor people are some of the hardest fucking working people in this country because they're poor because they have to work five times harder for every cent that they make. But we get this narrative, we get this story about how we're lazy, how you're not working hard enough, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And it's like, you took all the boots. What the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> and then when I got to pay a payment plan, I got to feel bad about it. Like, right. So like I make a point in my programs. It's like, I do not penalize you if you pay a payment plan. If you pay in full, you pay in full. If you pay a payment plan, it's the same amount. Yeah. And plus you also offer a scholarship for those that can't, um, for people to apply that they might get it if they can't afford it. So you even make it yeah. an even easier way of entry, which I felt bad when I was a coach too, before I decided to go back to school, I had a coaching practice and a lot of the business practices made me feel slimy and gross. Yeah. Right. That we're taught. Yeah. It's like, I don't have a problem selling and pitching. That's not my problem. My problem is like, this thing over here like i'm penalizing you with a payment plan like no you know like some of those things they do they feel slimy but we do it because so many people are so successful and they're all doing it and where did they learn it they learned it from rich white people yeah that, that's why you feel slimy <laughs> like, yeah well and i i hated it when they were like you need to charge a certain amount for your programs and you need to have these different tiers and I, I, it was just so complicated and there was so much. And I'm just like, why can't I just do what feels right to me? You know, and you're paying yeah. these people, these business coaches, a lot of fucking money to tell you these things that never felt right. Mm -hmm. Never felt right to me. I mean, so you're not the only one. It never felt right to me. Either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I actually do offer too. So like the scholarships are like, they're a partial scholarship if you're in like a certain tier of my program, which is the higher tier. If you're like, I really want to do the work, but like, I really can't afford it. Like some, like I've been there. Okay. And some of the, the, some of the best programs that I've been able to do, I got in because I got in on some kind of scholarship, like whether it was school, I did get scholarship, some scholarships for school, but like other programs, my yoga teacher training program that I did years ago, I don't even like actively teach yoga anymore, but, um, my yoga teacher training program, I was like, I really want to do this program. The teachers that were teaching it were my teachers and they're phenomenal. I was like, I really want to do this program. And they were doing an apprenticeship, which is like, you're their assistant through yeah. like the months of the program and you get half off of your tuition. And like, I applied and I got it. And I was like, yeah, I'm like, if I had not, if I had not been able to do that, I would not have, have had those years of teaching yoga. And then I probably also wouldn't be a coach because a lot of what I do in my coaching is stuff that I learned exploring on the mat. Yeah. You know, so like there's so much opportunity in scholarships. It's not a handout. It's not like a giveaway. It's not because someone's lazy. It's because they really want to do the work and they have a barrier that is not, that doesn't have anything to do with the kind of person that they are.
Yeah. Well, we've mentioned a couple times your program and the scholarships. Could, can you tell us a little bit about your program in case we have any Black creatives who want to hop in on that? Oh, yeah. So, so um, my program that I am doing right now is called uh, From Oreo to Empowered, which is really for um, primarily for Black for creatives of the Black diaspora, so whether you're Black American, African, uh, Afro-Latinx, Pan-African, mixed-race Black, just somewhere in the Black diaspora, um, but we're we're told like you're not being you're not Black enough, or you were called white, or some other way that you were rejected or othered from uh, Blackness. Whether that primarily like from it can happen from Black people, it can also happen from white people, it can happen from like non-Black POCs. So it's really that deep down story about not being enough. Um, and so we address that in the program and it's this look at the ways that that is actually rooted in white supremacy. It's not about your blackness at all. It's rooted in white supremacy and anti-blackness, which then gets propelled onto you and then internalized by you. And then the way that comes out in the world in terms of how you operate in the world is, um, in all areas of your life. It'll show up in your relationships. It'll show up in your creative work. It'll show up in like how you go about your day, the ways that you quiet down, your imposter syndrome, all these different ways can actually um, end up coming back to the ways that you were othered from blackness. So with, um, yeah, so with that program, it's an eight week program where I'm taking you through. And honestly, like the not enoughness story really gets addressed in the first like two weeks. And that's where we do a lot of like setting that foundation for dismantling that dismantling work. And then through the following weeks, it's really about changing the patterns and changing that, those underlying stories that you've uncovered so that you can create new, more empowering patterns in, um, in your life, in your relationships and step bigger into your creative work. So the, the creative work and the personal work go together in, in absolutely right. all of my programs. So in this program that I'm currently doing and the next program that I'm going to be doing. What, what's the next one? Cause that's the one that's coming out around the time that this airs. Yeah. Well that one, yes, that one will actually be in 2020. Ooh. Um, okay. So not yeah. long after this airs. Yeah. Not long, but it'll be in 2020 and it is similar except it's not focused on the Oreo complex. Like I think that's a really important story uh, narrative that needs to be addressed because yeah. no one's talking about it, right. which is why I created a program around it. But the next program is going to be a little bit more, uh, a little bit more open where we're exploring whatever narrative it is that's coming up for you, whatever narrative that is holding you back, those deeper down stories that you don't realize are even there and teaching people how to really peel away those layers and explore and then change those patterns, change the ways that the habits, the thought patterns, things like that, and move your creative work and your life forward. So it, it's always with me, there's an interplay between the personal work and the creative work. And when, when I work with people in my programs, the work that you do, like the action steps you do every week, it's going to be both. And they're going to play off of each other in a way where the personal work, it expands your creative work, whatever that is, whatever arena. Um, but also stepping into the creative work challenges you in the personal work. So it's a really important element because one thing that I say is it's not enough to be aware. Like it's not enough to be aware of your internalized oppressions. It's not enough to just be aware of the ways that white supremacy has affected you or the ways that you might be perpetuating it. You have to actually create change and to create change, it takes action. It takes doing 
not just thinking, not just knowing, okay? Like my ex knew that he was an asshole. He didn't actually change anything. <laughs> you know, it takes actually, actually doing, actually doing something about it. And our creative work is an amazing place to do that because as you know, being an entrepreneur, when you start like getting into those bigger endeavors, it, it challenges all of your old thinking, okay? Oh, yeah. All the old insecurities and everything comes up. So when you start really stepping bigger into your, your endeavors, it's going to challenge the old status quo. And so when you can step big into that and step big into that in a way that creates that change, that is, okay, this is a new pattern. Okay, I understand that old story, but I'm choosing not to live it. That is going to start changing the story. It's going to start changing the way you operate in the world. And when you change that, and now you've got a new like operating system or a new status quo, you can create much more change in the world around you. And that's what I want to help ignite black, black creatives into. So that next, that next program is going to be a little bit broader where it's like, what's coming up for you? What's got you stuck? Let's, let's look at it. Let's dismantle it. Let's get real about the ways that we perpetuate oppression, the ways that we sit in our own oppression and use that as a crutch. And let's clear that shit out so that you can really own your power. That's yeah. like a really long answer. <laughs> no, I love it. And not only that, but for all those black creatives that are listening, we already talked about why you should be working with a black coach and not a white coach. So <laughs> that was the whole point in me having you share about your programs is like, the, that's the point is, you know, people need to be able to, hopefully they took the message. The black folks took the message that you need to be working with a black coach. Like, cause that's the person that's going to understand what you're going through, what you've been through the generational trauma, all of those things. Those are the people that are going to understand this. The white folks need to understand that, Hey, you need to wake the fuck up and you need to listen and open your mind and start doing the work. Cause it's not just a one sided thing. Y'all can't just be doing all the work and we sit back and like, no big deal. I'm not racist. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I have a black friend. I have a black, yeah. My, I have a token black friend. Who cares? Like, what? <laughs> yeah. It'd be like, uh, just so you know, that's racist. I think you need to, I think you need to dig a little more in that work, but yeah. And then also, so like I said, I don't normally speak to speak directly to white people. I'm going to say this, right? Please understand that not every space is made for you. Like when I started, when I shifted my coaching and was like, okay, I am going to work with, I, at first I went to women of color and then I was like, okay, people of color. And then I was like, black people. <laughs> right. So when I made that shift, I had people who were like, but doesn't everyone need help? And I'm like, yeah, everyone needs help. But everyone who's white has every other white coach out there to help them. Right. I'm like, who is here for just black folks? I mean, there are people, there's not like, there's not as many of them as are out there for white people. So it's like white people, you can go and find somebody that's easy. Okay. You can find someone who's got your you lived experience and all of that. Throw a rock. You'll find yeah. a white coach. They're yes. out there. Exactly. Okay. There's probably one on your block. So, but for black folks, it's like to find, to find someone I'm like, I, I know because I live it. I live my life as a, as a black woman. Um, I can speak to the experiences. I can speak to like the particular things that we have to deal with that white coaches can't and often dismiss and often erase in their coaching with black folks. They're like, like I said, you're playing the victim. You just have to be positive. They want to sprinkle love and light on top of shit. And I'm like, okay, well, is your love and light going to protect me when the police want to shoot me on the street? Like, right. is your love and light going to protect me from like the KKK member who's walking around with his hood? 
no, your love and light is not. So like fucking get off your ass and do something real. But like understand that not every space is for you. Like people were like, like you should you should be coaching everybody. Really? Like if you have a women's program, do you let men in? No. no. Do I have men on so. this podcast? No, because it's the Inspired Women podcast. That's why. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So why why do you expect differently from Black people? Because honestly, white people are used to being able to take whatever Black people have. They're used to like having this entitlement of like, but but what do you mean? This space isn't for me? What do you mean? You're not focused on me? It's like, it's part of that white supremacist indoctrination. It's, it's automatic. You have to work on it. You have to dismantle it to not respond that way. You have to learn how to decenter yourself. Well, so I've heard the same thing about black colleges, What there's black, there's colleges just for black people. Well, that's not fair. Why can't we go to the black colleges? Like, do you know why HBCU started? <laughs> right. <laughs> Cause we weren't allowed in the white colleges. <laughs> like, right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I mean, you do actually get white people at HBCUs, but it's like, yeah, they lose, they lose their shit because something's just, something's just for black. The reason it's for black people is to make up for the fact that we are marginalized. Mm -hmm. It's to try and bounce, to create a space where we can actually excel, where we can actually be cared for, where we can actually be like seen instead of having to navigate carefully in a white dominated space. Like we often have to. That's the reason. It's because the world is already made for you as a white person. So just back up, just back it on up, back it up out the door and understand that that space isn't for you. It's okay. You get every other space. It's fine. You'll be okay. (laughs) (laughs) You're not lacking spaces here, guys. Not lacking spaces. Well, Kristen, as we wrap up the podcast, because the time goes by really fast, uh, what would you like to leave the inspired women audience with? And maybe something we haven't talked about, or maybe just kind of tying a bow on what we've already talked about. Ah, uh, you know, I think something that I've I've really been coming to more is community. Mm-hmm. And you know, in the question you asked earlier about what can people do, and I'm like, the first thing is do your own work you know, for everybody, no matter what race you are, is to really do your own work and do it every day because it doesn't stop. But community is also really important. And being one, mindful of what community spaces you're in, Mm -hmm. what it is that changes when you walk into that space, like whether it is you having a privilege or you not having a privilege and choosing your communities carefully choosing your communities carefully, choosing your leaders carefully. And I would say if you're not really big on community, start to stretch yourself and start, start finding community, start building community. And for white people, community that, it doesn't mean go into black spaces, but it does mean find community that maybe isn't all white because it's going to be an echo chamber of privilege and power but finding a community that's eclectic for black folks, you can find a community that's eclectic or a community that's um, like a safe space for black folks or whatever your intersections are, whether it's LGBTQIA plus like me or uh, like disabilities or which is also me (laughs) and how they think about it. Um, But finding community with people who are like you and building from a community standpoint point. We are a very uh, individualistic society. Individualism is bred into us. And that is also a tool of white supremacy. Because for example, 
black, you take black people, this, okay, well, I got to get mine and fuck everybody else. That means we're not actually building up our community that we come from. Mm -hmm. All right. And that's what white supremacy wants. It wants us to not give a shit about each other. It wants us to not care about each other because white supremacy, almost like a sent, like it's a sentient being, but white supremacy knows that it cannot up, it cannot hold up against unity, which is why it does not want unity. So community is actually a key to, to dismantling it. That's also why community is part of what is amplifying it. White nationalists, KKK, these groups are groups of community that have been emboldened around their community. So when we come in together in community, um, whether it is like black folks or a mix of folks, there is a, a lot of power in that. There is a lot of power in that. And so finding the right community, being part of community, maybe building community. I'm working right now on building community. It feels a little weird for me. It's a little bit of a stretch. I mean, I've been in community. I've never built, I've never like successfully built one where I was like, okay, I feel like, I feel like we're here and we're all like feeling the community of this. So I'm working on it and, and finding new ways to do that, but building community. And then the last thing is when you are looking to inform yourself of something, the most marginalized people are often the people who have the best knowledge. They have the things that you need. Black folks, indigenous folks, disabled folks, LGBTQ. These people deal with so many different layers of a lack of privilege or a lack of access. They have so many different, like such a different experience of life that when you learn when we as a society learn from the most marginalized it serves all of society when you only do things that serve the most privileged and power and powerful people it only serves them and because of this the way systemic oppression works it serves them and it will oppress others by default that is how that is how our society is built but when you when you listen to the most marginalized when you learn from the most marginalized what you are going to learn are things that are going to benefit everybody so take a look at who your leaders are. Take a look at who it is you're learning from. And if they are white, cis, hetero people, you got to ask yourself, how many different perspectives are they missing? Right. How many different ways are they oppressing and they don't even realize that I might be doing that too because I'm not paying attention to what is informing their perspective. It doesn't mean that they don't have anything to contribute, but like pay attention to who it is that you're looking to as your leaders and honestly, seek the most marginalized because they will have the best information and the best advice and guidelines on how to create a more equitable world. Yes. Get out of your echo chambers, people. Get out of your echo chambers. <laughs> well, Kristen, thank you so much for coming on the podcast tonight. Uh, thank you for having me. This is good. <laughs> Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.